really, really excited to have Dr. John here again. This is like the third time, ninth episode by the end of this week. But before we can get into today's program, allow me to read for you Psalm 63. In verse 1, it says, You, God, are my God. Honestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. This is the Psalm of David. And in verse 2, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glory in you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, and with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. The king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And here at Kevin Devils, honestly, our goal is that each one of us at the end of each show, we will be more connected to God than when we tuned in. And tonight, we bring you the best again from all over the world. And we are joined by Dr. John Norris. And uh, just to discuss this whole topic concerning the mind. You know, when, when we started out with Dr. John, I did not have the slightest idea that we will be having nine episodes which are all connected. We began with three episodes on the heart. Uh, Next were three others on the soul, which I posted all of them today. If you have subscribed to Cabin Devils either on Apple Podbean, I mean Apple Podcast or on Podbean, you should have received a notification. And if you didn't, please, before you leave the show, in fact, right now, go ahead and click the follow button so that you can receive those notifications the next time uh, a new episode is uploaded. But yeah, if you have not listened to any of those episodes, I'll encourage you to go back and listen to them. There's six of them. There's uh, topics, I mean, titles concerning the heart. I think they are titled Matters of the Heart. And then the latest three are the ones I'm talking about right now concerning the soul. And today we begin a new series on the mind. Dr. John, um, we discussed this mind thing uh, a couple of days ago. Now, I must apologize that uh, I recorded a portion of that discussion, but in the end, it turns out recording a FaceTime call is more tricky than I thought. The mic was muted the whole time, and so when we hung up, I I played the video and I couldn't hear anything. I'll do a better job uh, next time. But in that discussion, we tried to differentiate the mind and the heart. I gave you my simple understanding of the mind, in which I said that it's like a simple three times three is equal to nine equation, where the equation sign separates the mind and the heart. This is what I meant. And if you you can imagine the equation in your head uh, right now, three by three is what happens in the mind. And nine is the conclusion of that particular workout. Uh, 
The product nine therefore represents our convictions that rest in the heart as a complete thought. Now, Dr. John, I know that uh, it was a long discussion. I think it took us about 30 minutes. And, and at the end of it, you, you only agreed partially to that illustration. And you said that three by three is equal to nine deals with absolutes. But the mind has a tendency of dealing with so much more. Not everything is absolute. But my argument is truth is absolute. But Dr. John, if you can unmute your mic, tell the listeners what you told me, and then maybe they will decide uh, for themselves how to understand the mind and the heart. Dr. John. Yes, thank you, David. Um, I remember our conversation, and even though it wasn't recorded, uh, I had a good time, and <laughs> and I was thrilled that you and Grace uh, ha- now have a, a, a healthy baby boy. So that was uh, that was the highlight of the conversation to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talked about the mind, and I think uh, probably earlier in my life, I had a desire to. Um, to try to boil things down and make them simple. Um, I, I think the the older that I get, and I'm 60 now, uh, the older that I get, the less simple I think that things are. Uh, and particularly when it comes to the spiritual nature of man. Uh, I'm, I'm, as you know, I've been studying uh, for some time, and the and the reason that we've got these uh, different topics that are coming up and taking uh, three sessions each to discuss is because they're complex, um, and and I think your desire to have the equation that explains it simply is a good thing um, in terms of of the the notion of absolute truth. I do believe that there is absolute truth, but I think that the, um, the majority of absolute truth is confined to God because uh, his word is absolutely true. Uh, his character is absolutely true. And uh, so what he says is uh, reliable and true. And I think that's, uh, but that's a separate category. You know, God is in his own category. And when it comes to the mind, uh, and this is where, you know, you understand we're in the 21st century now, where essentially each individual um, defines truth for themselves in, in a way that is based on their own experience. And so uh, the mind is is tricky because um, individuals that have grown up in different cultures or with different uh, educational or spiritual backgrounds uh, will will think that things are true when perhaps they aren't or or when perhaps uh, they have a partial truth. And so that's why I think um, you know there there are some mathematic truths. Uh, There are some things that, you know, three plus three will always uh, equal six. Um, You know, that's that's a true statement. But I think that when it comes to trying to understand our minds and how human beings work, uh, it's much more complex than that. 
All right. I think that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. The complexity, uh, especially when you live in an environment or community where everyone decides their own truth. And of course, that is in quotes because we, we, we should be able to conclude that there's only one truth. But again, it's, uh, it's what it is. And I like how you put it before God. Truth definitely is absolute. But then you live in a community where people are beginning to define um, their own truth. And I was thinking about this the whole time. Uh, this 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 evening and, and most of today, even when I designed uh, the poster uh, for today and, and I entitled today's um, uh, topic or today's discussion, the mind playing games and this whole Rubik's Cube that you see on that poster, it, it's a very complex puzzle to solve. And I bought one of those um and I'm trying to solve it. It's, it's been months and uh, I, I just cannot figure it out, but I'm not giving up. Once in a while, I pull it out and I place it on my desk. I even have watched YouTube videos to try and solve that Rubik's Cube, but it's kind of seems impossible. Now I've seen people solve it under 10 minutes. The mind is more complex than that. If you can, imagine with me a Rubik's Cube whose colors are constantly changing for every move that you make. And then in the year 2020, when you are about to figure it out, the order of those colors is changed completely by the virus because it introduces a new set of colors where there was no pink, now you have pink. And it's it seems impossible. And the whole process just kind of locks itself some moves are even locked because now you can't travel, you cannot go to church, schools are closed. And, and imagine a Rubik's Cube whose colors are constantly changing, a new set of colors are introduced, and on top of that, you are told you only can solve this puzzle or this cube with one hand. Now, that is not just complex, that is insane. And Dr. John, I want to ask you, I know your area of, uh, of operation or your area of business may not have been heavily affected by, by, by the pandemic. But how have you dealt with anxiety, especially when your mind plays out possibilities and all moves, at least in your mind, end up in a possible state of failure or even loss of life? You are a surgeon. You must deal with these situations from time to time. Dr. John, how have you dealt with anxiety? Uh, well, thanks, David. I, anxiety isn't a problem that I have a lot of. Uh, I, I think um, probably early on in my career, I may have had some anxiety. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed here recently is that I do see a considerable number of patients who, who seem to be uh, beset with anxiety and, and their lives are literally overwhelmed by um you know, thoughts and concerns about the pandemic, uh, about, you know, uh, political issues going on here in the States. Um, you know, some, some people even kind of trivial things like their sports teams. But I mean, people uh, do have uh, layers of complexity to their being. And uh, so you've even just uh, touched a little bit on the idea 
of, of how emotions impact our mind. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about here in the next uh, couple of sessions, uh, the first session today, we're just going to try to get some, some definitions of the mind and talk about how the mind works in culture, uh, how the mind in scripture works. Uh, but then uh, on Wednesday, we'll talk about how the mind is a battlefield. And uh, it's really the battlefield uh, upon which uh, the soul uh, has its fights. And uh, there are different kind of warring aspects of every person's being uh, called the soul, uh, I'm sorry, in the soul called the spirit and the flesh. Uh, and, and the war that goes on internally creates anxiety. Uh, so there are all of these emotions that we have to deal with in our minds, uh, like anger, um, hurt, uh, bitterness, resentment, uh, disappointment, sadness, uh, sometimes uh, depression. And, and each one of these emotions uh, play on our minds. And so uh, in terms of, of how I deal with anxiety, I would say, uh, number one thing is I realize that I have very little control over my life. And uh, as much as I would like to control it, um, you know, I get up and, and give control to God, uh, just like you and I were uh, texting when I was on my way home from my surgery. I had every confidence that I would make it to the uh, appointment here this afternoon. Um, and it's something that, you know, my staff knows and the folks know that I had an appointment with you all today. Uh, but I wasn't anxious about that. I, I was looking forward to it uh, all day. And, and I do think that, that although there are times where I feel anxiety, um, it's, it's often just um, in my part, uh, due to the fact that maybe I'm trying to control something that I have no control over. That's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, and I love the summary that you just give it, just realizing that you have no control over when you talk about people visiting your clinic over different issues and, uh, um, some of them could actually be sports teams. I chuckled and the sports team that came to my mind for me was Arsenal. And I was thinking must be Arsenal fans who are constantly visiting your uh, clinic, but that's for another day. One day, all of this will make sense, ladies and gentlemen, um, the complexity of situations happening in our, in our minds and how we cannot figure things out. We do not know what next year is going to hold. We have no clue. Well, ladies and gentlemen, allow me at this point in time to welcome Dr. John to share with us from God's Word Uninterrupted. Dr. John, you are welcome. Thank you, David. And uh, what I want to talk about, and, and I really just want to lay a foundation for how we think about our minds. And uh, it's a very... To me, it, it's been a hard thing to, to wrap my own mind about that because when you start thinking about what you're thinking about and paying attention to what you're paying attention to, then um, your mind does all these kind of flip-flops and kind of runs back and forth and starts to try to, you know, 
answer questions, I think, before we even ask them. And so what I wanted to do was to start in this three um, uh, session uh, discussion about the mind and really talk uh, first about the mind in uh, scripture and in culture. Uh, and, and just what do you need to know? Like what terminology do we want to use for the, for the concept of the mind? Uh, because it's changed over uh, centuries. And uh, now we're in a time where if we don't think accurately about our minds, uh, we're in danger of losing them and, and of not really understanding um, what our minds are about and, and where they are from and what they're for, uh, but just kind of slipping into uh, what I would call a mindlessness uh, of the age. And, and that is happening uh, certainly in our country and culture and I think all around the world. So today we're going to just get some basic um, definitions and I'll, and I'll give you a little history lesson as to why um, the mind has really become something that we need to think about and talk about and try to understand. Uh, then on Wednesday, we'll talk about this battle that goes on in the mind. And, and I will, I hope, leave you with the idea that the mind is a battlefield and, it is, and is in fact the battlefield of your soul. Uh, so we've talked previously about the soul being your whole person, but uh, the mind being the place where the battles uh, take place. And then, and then on Friday, uh, our last session, uh, we'll talk about how to win the battle that you fight every day in your mind. So let's just start uh, with where does the concept of the mind come from? And uh, David, as you know, I'm a, I'm a student of scripture. Uh, the, the oldest uh, written, uh, uh, you know, scriptures that we have uh, are from uh, Moses and, and in Hebrew, uh, the scripture, the, the first five books of the Old Testament written some, you know, 1400 years before Jesus was born. So we're talking about 3,500 years ago from today. And a lot of those scriptures um, are really helpful for us to try to understand ourselves. But one of the things that you will find fascinating is that the term for the mind is not even in the Old Testament scripture. There is, in fact, no Hebrew word for the concept of mind. And, and when you read in the English and you look at the word mind in the Old Testament, and then you try to say, well, what word was it in the Old Testament that was translated by English translators with the word mind? Often you will see that it's that word uh, heart that we started with uh, a couple of months ago. So in the May podcast where we did three sessions about the heart, uh, you will find that English translators, because uh, we don't often think of the heart as the seat of thoughts, uh, that they don't like translating the term for heart as heart, and so they translate it mind. Uh, or the term for soul, so nefesh, is, is not 
uh, infrequently translated as mind. And once again, because English translators don't often like to translate uh, soul from the original Hebrew, and so they'll translate mind. And, and occasionally, there's another term called kilya in the Hebrew, which actually means kidneys uh, or your innermost beings. Uh, and, and the innermost being is close to mind in some senses. And so once again, uh, English translators use the term mind to uh, translate that concept. In fact, when you go back to uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is the great Shema, and that's this, this uh, section of scripture that really started me thinking in my mind about all of this. Deuteronomy 6, 5 does not include the term for mind since no Hebrew term for the mind existed. So the Shema is this, it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so when um, that was written some 1400 years before Jesus, Moses did not record the term mind in there because there was no uh, Hebrew word for mind. And so then the question is, when did mankind begin to focus on the mind separate from the other aspects of human nature? And so in human history, when this began to occur was back about 500 years before Jesus uh, in the Greek culture. And uh, the, probably the most famous uh, philosophers of all time were Greek philosophers. And uh, you've probably heard the names Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And those, um, what we, we still consider, they had great minds. And uh, Plato uh, described Socrates as the gadfly of Athens, meaning that he was an, a, a rival and an irritant who challenged Greek customs and thoughts. Uh, and, he, and he constantly had this idea, you know, think about what you're thinking about and think thoughts that are deep thoughts. And actually, Socrates was eventually tried and sentenced to death for his opinions and for corrupting the youth of the city of Athens because of his thoughts. And some of his thoughts, of course, were, were sensible, uh, but a lot of them were kind of uh, provocative. And so that's why he was stirring up thinkers at the time. And Socrates sought some of these thoughts. He, he, he's famous for, for these few sayings, one called the unexamined life, Socrates said, is not worth living. He also said there's only one good knowledge and there's one evil ignorance. So Socrates is, is famous for um, this dialogue that involved questions in an attempt to engage people to identify their understanding and then to express their ideas as revealed truth. And so, David, you asked about truth, and this is kind of the beginning of the end. When man started using his own brain to think his own thoughts apart from God and trying to kind of 
trying to figure out why things exist in certain ways and how things work. And so Socrates' most famous student was Plato. And uh, Plato was born in uh, 428 before Jesus was born. And so in the, in the fourth and fifth century BC is when all of this thought about the mind uh, came about. Plato established what was called the Academy in Athens. And he wrote extensively establishing Athens as a center for the arts and for philosophy, which had a profound influence on the Roman Empire. And then Plato's most famous student, Aristotle, who was born in 384, before uh, Christ established uh, Greek philosophy as a mindful, rational, empirical approach that still influences philosophers and scientists today. So Aristotle is the most prolific of all, and, and basically it was him who said that all men by nature desire knowledge. And in all things of nature, there is something of the marvelous. And in fact, Aristotle said this, it's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. So by the time Jesus came to the earth, roughly 350 years later, after the Greek culture, the Greek language and philosophy had spread all throughout that region. And so into Africa, into uh, even uh, uh, throughout Europe, into Israel, uh, even as far as India, the Greek culture had been spread there by Alexander the Great, who expanded the culture in the third century before Jesus and spread this kind of, was called the Hellenistic state. Uh, throughout Persia, India, and North Africa. And then Alexander died as a young kind of conquering hero at age 32 when he got uh, a fever and, and had a bad disease and died in Babylon. So by the time Jesus came around, uh, Greek, the Greek language was then kind of like the English language is now. It's, it's, it's becoming sort of a global language that people have to understand uh, to, to communicate. So when Jesus was asked in the first century, uh, the question, what is the greatest commandment? Actually, when Jesus replied in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus said, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So it wasn't that Jesus misquoted the uh, Hebrew scriptures. The, the Hebrew wasn't being spoken at that time. The Greek language was being spoken. And so what Jesus was doing was rather than trying to quote word for word, what was written in the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus was quoting thought for thought. And so to add to the idea of heart and soul, Jesus included the term mind. And the word that Jesus used was dianoia. 
So he didn't exclude any of the terms from Deuteronomy 6.5. He actually added a term for the mind, the dianoia, as yet another means for loving God. So I think, in fact, Jesus probably understood that the Greek-speaking culture, uh, particularly the Jews who were trying to understand the Hebrew but didn't speak the Hebrew, uh, that that Greek-speaking Jewish culture would not have understood the idea of heart and soul without the concept of the mind in addition to the strength. And so that brings us to the question, what does that word dianoia uh, mean? And that really is, in fact, uh, where I wanted to start today. Because the word dianoia uh, conveys the idea of the mind or the intellect. And um, loving God with the mind and the intellect uh, was something that was, was foreign to the Hebrew scripture because the Hebrew didn't have, uh, the culture didn't have the idea of dividing a human being into its component parts. But of course, in the Greek culture, uh, they did that quite extensively. And in fact, uh, in Platonic thought or Plato's thought, uh, the whole idea of the body being something bad and the, and the spirit or the soul or the mind being something that was very good was, was part of that culture. And so Jesus conveyed the idea of the mind or intellect as being part of how human beings would love God. And it gets back to the idea of when the um, new covenant was expressed and what God said is, I'll take the heart of stone out of someone and I will implant into them a heart of flesh that I can move and mold and shape and make. And in fact, in Hebrews 8, this new covenant um, language that, uh, that the writer or writers of Hebrews is quoting from Jeremiah 31, it says in Hebrews 8, 10 uh, through 12, it says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. And so if we just go through that passage in Hebrews 8, it says, I will, uh, verse 10, I will put my laws into their minds. And there it is again, that word in the Greek is dianoia. I will put into their logical minds the, the laws. And it says, and I will write them on their hearts, cardia. So again, just like Jesus did when he quoted, the writer of Hebrews is adding both minds and hearts together. And the key thing is they're in verse 11 where it says, and they will teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother saying, know 
the Lord. And that's a key concept. That word for know the Lord is another Greek term called ginosko. And that's ginosko the Lord, have a knowledge of the Lord, have an experiential knowledge of the Lord. And then it says in verse 11, for they shall all know me. And that word is from the Greek oida. And so here's the concept, and I really want to kind of drill this home, that there are really two kinds of knowing that our minds engage in. One kind of knowing is a knowing of factual um, things, like knowing facts and knowing about someone or something based on processing information about them. And, and sometimes we would call this a head knowledge, okay? So there is a brain knowledge. There is a series of facts that we must learn to have a knowledge of uh, a subject. So even today, a lot of what we're going through is going through the terminology so that we develop a vocabulary to then understand what we're talking about. The second kind of knowledge is this Ginosko knowledge. And that knowledge is a personal and experiential knowledge based on relationship. And this is one of the keys. When Jesus talks about knowing him, and when, let's say, for example, the apostle Paul talks about knowing God, he uses that second term. He says, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And what Paul is talking about specifically is this personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus based on relationship. So we have these two concepts of the mind. The first concept is, uh, is uses this term dianoia. And as I mentioned, it's conveying the idea of our uh, rational mind or intellect. Uh, it, it, it is necessary it, it, for us to understand things. We do have to discipline our minds to learn concepts. But the second aspect of the mind, and this is a new term that I want you to understand with regard to the mind, so that when we get into our discussion on Wednesday and Friday, the second term is a term that the Apostle Paul uses. And um, this is a term called the noose, N-O-U-S. And the noose was almost exclusively used by Paul and seems to have included with it not just the rational mind, but, but more the will, which when we talked about where the will of a person comes from, we said that that was part of the heart. So the noose is a term in the Greek that actually combines the brain and the heart in a way that, that it, it actually wraps up a knowledge of a subject in a person and knowing a person. And David, when you co quoted uh, Romans 12, 1 uh, and 2, uh, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
That mind there in Romans 12, 2 is actually the term noose. So he says, now in your noose, in your, and, and you can think of it this way, in your spiritual mind, you will then be able to discern what is the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So again, I know I've, I've thrown a bunch of terms at you. I want to suggest to you that within the complexity of your mind, rather than thinking of your mind and your heart as a mathematical equation, uh, either, um, you know, simple addition or even multiplication or division, think of these types of things that go on in your mind. Your mind is the organ that allows you to know someone and allows others to know you. So you have to open your mind and you have to open your noose to allow someone to to know you and experience a relationship with you. Uh, In your mind, you decide what you're paying attention to. So you can open your attention and and focus on something, or you can kind of, um, you know, observe body language and you can observe uh, uh, nuances and and much of the communication that occurs in uh, in in life is is not verbal. It's it's part of that. And so as you focus your attention on that, uh, and then of course you have your memory. You have memories of things that have happened to you that you may not even be able to call to to mind immediately, but embedded in your mind are all of these aspects of your character that have come since you could remember anything from, you know, probably even before you could speak. There are experiences that you've had with people that that inform your mind and inform your actions. And based on that, uh, even these things, uh, uh, relationships, all of your relationships involve what we call attachment. And in attachment, it, it involves your mind connecting with the mind of another so that when a baby is born, the baby's mind comes out looking for someone who is looking for them. So it's when a mother, like when Joe, Joe came uh, this past month, uh, he came out looking for, for grace and looking for you, David, and looking for where, where are the parents who've brought me into this world? And so the mind starts even then uh, looking for someone to help me make sense of this world. And so the goal, uh, as we talk about the mind, what our goal is, is to, is to start to make connections between uh, our brains, uh, not just in our own heads, but when we make connections in our brains, our brains connect to other people's brains, and it's in the connection of our community that we actually allow our minds uh, to be connected. 
And uh, one of my favorite verses is in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.16, where Paul talks about the mind of Christ. And he says this, he says, we have the mind of Christ. And it's so important that what Paul is talking about there is not that he has the mind of Christ uh, or that individuals have the mind of Christ, but that the mind of Christ is developed as a community effort when minds are integrated and connected within themselves, but then within a group. And so that's how what Jesus talked about when he dwells among us and when he is abiding with us. It's that connection. It's that attachment that we have with Jesus in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds that allow us to love God and to be loved by him. So. That's where I wanted to cover uh, today, David. I know I gave the group a lot of terminology and we had a little bit of a hiccup um, with the uh, technology, but I am uh, willing to, to stay and answer any questions that you might have uh, gotten from all of that uh, terminology that I gave you. Thank you. Thank you. Definitely. I have two questions here. And ladies and gentlemen, I would like us to just hold on maybe for about seven minutes. I might have underestimated uh, the answers that are going to come from uh, Dr. John, but you did mention something, a quote that really uh, got me thinking uh, when you're talking about um, um, the statement sounded something like this. Only an educated mind entertains a thought without necessarily accepting it. And, and, and this, for me, took me back to what we have today as school or education. Um, and, and talking about education for a minute, uh, in as much as we've discovered things like medicine and are able to close geographical gaps in microseconds, I mean, here we are uh, thousands of miles away and we're able to have devotions uh, together. Uh, not far ago, this would have been considered witchcraft. Uh, and maybe it's witchcraft. But Dr. John, with all that you know, and are able to explain away, okay, how are you able to remain connected in the Lord instead of losing your faith? You just came back from surgery uh, this afternoon. And before people would explain such unexplainable uh, phenomenals with it must be God, it must be God. But now we can say it's a virus, and we have the uh, the antivirus. I mean, we have we have the vaccine, we have medicine for all these things that originally we would attribute to God. Um, rain, we can now explain rain away. We can explain the molecules of water away before it was a miracle. But how have you been able to remain connected with God with all that you have been educated in? Dr. John. Yeah, that's a great question, David. I And I think the challenge in the Christian life is, is more about subtraction uh, than it is addition. And I know you've heard me say that before. Uh, for me personally, the, the, um, the challenge in the mind is to quiet the mind until I can hear God. 
And, uh, and for me personally, uh, that, that involves, uh, some silence and some getting to a place where I can, uh, get rid of technology. You know, I take my watch and the phone and the computers and everything off and go to a, a quiet place and close the door and just connect and commune with God. And I think that um, there, there for years and years and years, I think um, Christians practiced uh, solitude and silence and, and trying to disconnect. It's getting harder and harder and harder. And some of that is because of technology and the Internet. I think some of it is also just because of ourselves. Uh, we allow ourselves to get so... Uh, consumed by uh, the busyness of life. And uh, we think if we're not doing something that that's, you know, wasting time. Uh, but I think that um, God would want each of us to take more time to be more uh, apart, more separate. Uh, in fact, in uh, Mark one thirty-five, one of my favorite verses says uh, of, of Jesus it says, "Very early in the morning, he got up and went to a solitary pray, place where he prayed." And it's just, I think, uh, a lot of times prayer is not going and talking to God; uh, it's going and listening to God and and trying to shut everything else out and and listen. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, that we sometimes think of silence as wasting time. And I think uh, each one of us have, at least for the people that I'm seeing online, have, have tried to turn off everything else uh, just to be here and commune with God. I wish we could develop the same discipline uh, personally in, in the sense that uh, we can do it on our own just to listen from God and, uh, and, and just reconnect if, if, uh, if that's the word. Question number two, um, Dr. John, um, you did talk about, you brought up towards the end, um, Romans chapter 12, um, that talks about don't conform to the pattern of this world. And this is kind of tied into the previous question, where the world is developing a pattern uh, of explaining truth away. He says, don't, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You use different words. I wish I could rewind them back and, and, and just be able to listen to you again on how you paraphrase that verse. But how different is that from the devil's suggestion to Eve? You will know good and evil. I mean, he said in Genesis 3, 3, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here Romans is promising that we will be able to test and prove God's will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, is Romans 12 a reversal of the damage that was done in Genesis Three, because both are promising knowing good. How would you answer a question like that? Uh, it's a great uh, segue for what we're going to talk about in uh, on Wednesday and again on Friday. But I, I think in, in the short answer is 
it isn't the reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. The, the, the blood of Jesus did, did that, reversed that. So, so Jesus's blood paid the price and made the reversal uh, possible. Uh, but what has happened is that when we received the, the DNA of Adam and Eve, uh, we received the lineage of the knowledge of good and evil. So when, when we're born, even young Joe, who's just born, has DNA from Adam and Eve. And so he has a knowledge, an experiential knowledge of good and evil. And when he's two, you and Grace will both be very aware of his knowledge of the evil part. <laughs> and, and this is the thing, it, it, to get the reversal, and, and I think this is the, the so, so, so the knowledge of good is what we want. We don't want to express the knowledge of evil, but because we are born of the flesh and because we have flesh in us before we're born again, uh, we have sin. And so this is what we're going to talk about on Wednesday. Uh, every human being has this fight going on in their mind between the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. And the flesh is waging a war. And, and so what we have to do is to learn how to uh, not focus on our desires, on our will, on our passions, on, on the things that make us uh, gods, you know, small g. Um, and that's the idea, is that when we understand ourselves correctly, that God is God and that we are his servants. Um, God is God. We are his sons and daughters. Um, God is God. And, and we are children whom he delights to know. And he delights to know us and he delights to have us know him. And so it's through this process of training the mind to know him and to be known by him. And that's really the key. If, if, we're, if we're understanding that that's what's going on in our minds, then as we're doing that, we will see God's will and we will have the desire to do that. Uh, but as long as what's going on in our mind is a battle between our will and God's will, then naturally we will always elevate our will above God's will and wonder why God doesn't just submit his will to mine. And that's the flesh speaking. And so the whole point is that in the final analysis, the transformation that this whole process is supposed to get to is to where I lay down my uh, will and I accept God's will and I understand that it's his will that is actually um, what is best for me. And so then I walk in his will and I find out that as I do his will, that that's where the true fulfillment comes in my life. Thank you. And I, th I think for me, 
with your answer to the last question, it's all beginning to make sense right now. Um, I do not want to say we don't have to get to the end, but I think we are getting to the end already. Yeah. When you talk about, when you, when you bring in the aspect of my will versus God's will, if you look at maybe Eve's example, um, the Bible concludes in that particular story that she saw when the, in verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. All the reasons you see that make up these conclusions are selfish, good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Therefore, let's eat. And uh, that's, that's just the will uh, of Eve. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's exactly... Eight minutes past ten, and we are coming to the end of our show. But I've already, I've already thought about the introduction uh, for episode number two in this series concerning uh, the mind. In fact, most of you who have already subscribed uh, to receive these updates, I've already sent you one email that sounds something like this. As we are looking forward to Wednesday, question is asked: Have you ever wondered why we sometimes desire things so badly that we are willing to do anything? Even when we know they are not good for us, one can almost hear two voices going back and forth inside us, waging war against each other. If these voices are arguing about moral values, then what they are in actual sense debating about is not the issue itself, but the nature of God. And exactly that's what the enemy did for Eve. Says God is not good. He does not want you to. Ladies and gentlemen, this is coming up on Wednesday as we look at the battle that goes on in the mind. It's actually a battle against the nature of God. Not so much, maybe so much about what we desire. But before we sin, the first thing we do is we really throw God out of the window. We conclude that he is not good. And then we continue with our actions. This is what we're going to be looking at coming Wednesday. But Dr. John, as we close, any final thoughts for us? Any final thoughts for us? Uh, no, David, I hope I didn't get uh, too uh, into the weeds there. I, I, I want to make sure that uh, that we're, we're all connected because this is something that I believe every Christian struggles with. There, there is a battle in the mind, and the, and the first thing that we have to do is recognize it, and then once we recognize it, uh, then we can win. Uh, and, and by God's grace and, and the power of the Spirit, uh, you know, win, uh, a, a win in the mind uh, then leads to a win in the life. Amen. Amen. When you win in the mind, you win life. I, I do like how you began even our program today where you said we need to understand our mind or else we will lose them. <laughs> you lose your run mad in the process unless you understand exactly what's going on. But Dr. Don, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure having you today. Looking forward to Wednesday. Ladies and gentlemen, let me encourage you to go ahead and follow us here on Podbean, but also on Instagram and Facebook. I did promise that by today we should have had our website up and running. 
and uh, allow me to get this thing done to excellence. Hopefully by the end of the week, I really thought that we would have Dr. John advertised on that site uh, for the episode that we'll be doing this week. But uh, a couple of things have held us back. But guys, I hope that by the end of the week, we'll have our site running cleanly so we can have one link to go to cabindevolts.com instead of going back and forth all over we'll be able to find everything we are looking for in one place let me encourage you to send me an email uh david at cabindevolts.com if you'd like to share how cabin Devils has been or has blessed you if you'd like to talk to someone uh, maybe a couple of things are going on in your mind and heart and you can't figure them out please send us an email talk at cabindivals.com. The email is talk at cabindivals.com. We've developed a team of members who are on standby willing to talk with you. In fact, I have all these emails set up on my phone. They will come to me like an SMS instantly as soon as you send them. And then I'll be able to, uh, either if I can't help, I'll be able to direct you to a couple of friends who are willing to help. Talk at cabindivos.com. And if you'd like to share a story of how these devotions have been helpful to you, send me an email, david at cabindivos.com. If you'd like me to pray for you in any way, send an email to pray at cabindivos.com. We are a team of members who are ready to connect with you. Once again, thank you and thank you so much for coming. Allow me at this point in time to recognize a couple of friends. We do have Chirabo is back with us. I know uh, she was with, I mean, they were with us on uh, on uh, Friday last week. Nobat, thank you so much. Nobat is a fan club member. When he arrives, it's like the band plays all over again. We do have Frank. Frank, thank you so much for being here. Adra, all the way from Nigeria. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for being here. We do have someone called Cookie joining us as well. Um, Joel uh, also is here. Quincy, we do have Seth. This is Gonzaga, my very good friend. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Frank Matolu, once again, thank you. Katie, all the way from Florida. Indian Rocks, thank you so much for being here. Guys, have a good night. And we will see you again on Wednesday. May the good Lord richly bless you.
If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to before bed, you go to before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils, your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.